Welcome to our Rock City Church podcast. We are so excited to have you join us. Our desire is that you would listen with expectancy for what God wants to do in your life. We pray that you would encounter the mighty love of the Father and that you would be fired up for the more that He has for you. Yeah! You guys are fired up today. I am still giggling from last week's message. And I'm wondering how many of you went out and bought a Refresh It. Anybody? No one went out and bought one? Man, I can't believe it. To understand that, you'd have to go back and listen to last week's message, and uh, it was a lot of fun. I laughed literally all week about some of the things that came out of my mouth. I don't know where some of that stuff comes from. I just get in the zone. We start gelling and vibing together, and out it comes. So... Anyway, today we're going to continue from the message from last week on the wisdom of preparation. This will be part two, and I would encourage all of you to go back and listen to the message last week if you did not hear it. We had a lot of fun, and um, it's funny how many people only remembered the parts about the toilet paper when I shared a lot of great scriptures. So uh, I want to recap a couple quick things, okay? Okay. So one is that we should be like the sons of Issachar where we understand the times and seasons and know what to do. We're never left in the dark as believers and sons and daughters of the king. We should never be in the dark. Those who walked in darkness see a great light. We were once in darkness, but now we see the light. And so if you are in darkness today with doubt and uncertainty and confusion Uh, fear, worry, doubt, disbelief, you're in the right place because our job is to help you see the light. Our job is to help you come to the light and to be prepared for everything that lies ahead. And so we also talked about the ant and we talked about in Proverbs where basically the writer says, go to the ant, you sluggard. And we talked about what a sluggard is. A sluggard is someone that is habitually inactive, It's not just to be lazy or procrastinate. It's to be habitually or constantly inactive. You could call that lazy. That's synonymous of being lazy. But God doesn't want us to be habitually inactive. Now, the challenge is, is a lot of people are very active, but they're active about things that aren't eternal. It doesn't mean that they don't matter. I want to make sure we understand that. God wants us to have a J-O-B. And single girls, you should not hook up with anybody that does not have a J-O-B, <laughs> right? And, and have a work ethic in their life. And having a work ethic is important to me. I was raised by a father that taught me how to work hard for everything that I had. I did insane amount of chores just to get a little bit of money for the weekend or to go to the... Back then, we had arcades. And so... Uh, I want to teach everyone that's around my life to have a good work ethic, how to earn the things that they have, right? But to be habitually inactive from the Lord's standpoint isn't just being lazy about working. It's about working for the things that matter the most, okay? And what matters the most? This is Proverbs chapter 6, verse 6. Go to the ant, you sluggard, consider his ways and be wise. They don't have any ruler. They don't have a chief. They're not... They don't have a leader, but we do. We have a ruler and a king and a chief and a leader who gives us wise instruction. 
the ant prepared well in advance for the season where there would be a, a drought or it'd be winter. And we talked about Jeremiah 17, how we are to be planted and have deep roots by the river. I like to throw in God's presence because when I think about the river, I think by God's presence. Because biblically, the river is indicative of the presence of God or the Holy Spirit. And so you want to spread roots out where the presence of God is. Does it somewhat feel like we're walking through the desert in Egypt sometimes? Does it feel like sometimes the the political system might be much like Egypt? Is it possible that God used the Old Testament as a type and shadow when the Israelites were delivered out of Egypt and wandered through the desert to the promised land and God, in a sense, has us moving in the same way to the promised land and God wants us totally dependent on him for food, water, provision, our sandals never fading out, or breaking for 40 years. I mean, really the intent was never to walk for 40 years. They could have made it in less than two weeks to the promised land. But I see that as a parallel to our lives today, that God wants us to have complete and total trust in him. If you don't get complete and total trust in the Lord first in your life, you will put your complete trust in the things that you possess. You will put complete trust in your work, your money, your possessions, or your guns. Seriously. I'm not saying we shouldn't have guns, because I have guns, but I, I don't trust my guns. I trust the Lord. Owning a, a weapon was never about aggression, right? It was about protection. And even Jesus, I'll show you, even Jesus instructed us in Luke 22, to sell our cloak and buy a sword. The problem is some of us aren't just buying a sword. We have armories. (laughs) And look, just so you know, I'm not opposed to an armory either. But the point is, is my trust is not in what I possess. My trust is in the Lord. Now, God has this supernatural way of stripping you down so that you only trust him. The whole process of the kingdom is deny yourself, lay your life down, die so that you can then step into the resurrection. So God has this way of stripping what you even have away from you so that you'll only have complete trust in him. And God has this supernatural way of providing for you. So when we talk about wisdom of preparation, yes, I want you to be prepared in the natural. We talked about that last week. I think you should have one to two of extra of almost everything you have, soap, toiletries, uh, food, because you need to know and understand you'll probably wind up giving away some of what you have. And when we go through apocalyptic freezes, apocalyptic heat waves and droughts and pandemics, whatever it is, we should never be the ones that are caught off guard and living in the pan, which is fear and terror of a sickness or an economic collapse we are heads, not tails. Yes, yes, yes. And as Christians, you should be living confidently in who you are without fear or worry or doubt or disbelief. Now, I'm saying this because so many of us I know live in fear, doubt, worry, and disbelief. And my job is to call you higher and out of that. If you have your eyes on the cares and the affairs of this world, if you are hooked into the world, you will be blinded. And the, and the Lord actually says, 
our lives become a hatred towards God. Friendship with the world is enmity or hatred towards God. That's why you have to be careful about the things that your little eyes see. You have to be very cautious about what you focus on and how much time and attention you put your eyes and your heart, your single eye. Jesus said, if your single eye is full of light, your whole body will be full of light. But if it's full of darkness, that darkness isn't great at all. And so the single eye is representative of your mind, your emotions, your thought patterns. And the world has an agenda. It's everywhere within social media. It's everywhere within the news media. And it's everywhere with those that are not flamed on spiritually that really know the Lord. So you wanna be around people that can always remind you of who you are, who he is, and where we're going as a family. We're in a time between times. The king has come once, but he came as a lowly servant on a donkey. Now he's resurrected, which we're about to celebrate over the next several weeks. But we also know that he's coming back. And he's coming back because he's gonna rescue us from the darkness and the wickedness and the hurts and the pains and the pedophiles and the human traffickers and the, the, the prostitution rings that are out there, pornography, the world is full of darkness. But he hasn't come back yet. And he hasn't come back because there's a job for us to do. And if you're bunkered down with an armory of guns and, and extra food preparations so that you can hide out when the hard times come, that's a problem. Jesus never told us to do that. Now I wanna take care of my family and protect them and there's wisdom. This isn't a formula. I can't tell everybody exactly how you're supposed to walk this out, but I can give you biblical insight and wisdom. The best biblical insight and wisdom that I can give you is not make sure you have extra propane and uh, 25 year storage of food and extra water preparations and extra toilet paper and everybody should buy a refresh it in case there's no toilet. That's not the best <laughs> advice I could give you, okay? It's good advice because the truth is we are the ones that should have plenty and extra so that we can provide for one another. Do you know many times the way that God provides for you is through your neighbor? I'm gonna show it to you in the Bible. So in order for the disciples to really be effective in their ministry, there were two times that right off the bat, Jesus would teach them total dependency on him. Right off the bat. And so in your Christian walk with the Lord, when you come to Christ, God has a way, doesn't he? Of bringing you to a spot of total dependency on him. And many times when he's stripping things away, we blame it on the devil when it's really the Lord because he understands. I'll, I'll give you an, a good example. I'll use my friend Nathan. He's not, Nathan, are you here today? He'll probably come to the next service. But Nathan and his family owned the pizza place here in the Bluff, New York Joe's. Wonderful family, the Woodards. I love them deeply. I love their daughters. And uh, I met Nathan at a Flower Bluff business meeting here in the Bluff, and he brought food, and it was so good. I was like, I gotta get to know you. No, that wasn't why. That wasn't why. <laughs> the truth is, is God supernaturally set it up. I told my testimony about the shopping center and the church coming to the Bluff to the business council here in the Bluff. And in turn, we connected, we came over to the coffee shop, talked for an hour. Now, this guy's raised a PK, never went to church or 
consistently did not go to church for many, many years. Why? Because the restaurant business will consume your life, and he owned it. And finding good, hard workers with a good work ethic these days is difficult. And so he worked every single Sunday. You know how many times I hear that? Man, pastor, I'd love to come. You got little kids. I'd love to come, but I work every Sunday. I get it, but at some point, you got to bite the bullet. At some point, you have to put your priorities in line. Seek first the kingdom of God. When you make the sacrifice for the Lord is never a wasted sacrifice. In fact, God actually increases your capacity and gives you more when you put him first. And we need this. I need this as much as you do. This isn't a ploy for me to get you to be here. I only want you to be where God wants you to be. This is me helping you to understand we desperately need each other. I need to see your face. I need to reach over and touch you sometimes. I need to share in the corporate worship that in, in an atmosphere of something I get only here that I never get at home alone. Right? And so we had that talk. And you know what? He made the shift. And quickly after, COVID hit and his business shut down and everything was stripped away. But if you see Nathan today, if you meet Nathan, he is more on fire, more in love with the Lord. His marriage is stronger. His kids are healthier today than he's ever been. And God literally broke him more than he'd ever been broken before. And he's been in and out of jail and made all kinds of mistakes. And, but now he's a man of stature and wisdom. But it came only first through the stripping away. So let me show this to you. Luke chapter 9. Jesus is teaching his disciples to have complete trust. And he's putting them in a position where they can only depend on him for provision. Because God is our provider. God is our provider. Nowhere in the Bible does it say the husband is the provider. Just so that you know. Now, do I believe men should work hard and provide for their family? Yes. But if you carry the full weight and responsibility of being the provider without the Lord, that's a problem. It causes stress, anxiety, worry, doubt. Your days rush by, and you'll look back on your life, and you will have missed the most important times with your family. And due to stress and worry and anxiety, your life can be cut short, all because we worked for the mighty dollar. I'll take $30,000 a year and full time with much more time with my family than $150,000 a year and stressed out of my mind and max and chasing the dollar down. Luke 9, 1, he called his 12 disciples together and gave them power and authority over all demons and to cure diseases. Now, I want you to notice this first because when you understand the authority and the power that's put inside of you of who you are, when it comes to the stuff that you need, you will never worry about it. It's a direct correlation. I'll reference this probably a couple times, but in John chapter four, when Jesus is ministering to the Samaritan woman, the disciples go to town to get food. The Samaritan woman shows up. He ministers to her, prophesies over her. She goes into town and tells everybody in the town what the Messiah told her. And on the way back, the disciples come and say, hey, we have food. You got to be hungry. And he says, I have food to eat that you don't know of. And then they say, huh? Did... Did, did, he have, did somebody give him some food while we were away? And he goes, he says, my food is not of this world. It's food to do the will of my father in heaven. Yeah. 
When you're doing the will of your Father in heaven, first off, it does something on the inside. You stop being ruled by your stomach. Partly why this fast is so important, because our flesh is always crying out for comforts. We're always thinking about what we're going to eat next, and then when your flesh starts to take the lead, you start to make bad decisions and stumble. That's why God instituted fasting, so that we would become new wineskins. Because if God puts something new in old, the old, not only will the new spill out, but the old will be ruined. And I don't want to be ruined. I want the new that God has, and I don't want to miss it. And so Jesus says, my food is, is to do the will of my Father in heaven. It's food that you, they knew not of. But here's the thing. We know of it now. Jesus is the manna that came down from heaven. I like to use my spiritual father, Kevin Leal, as an example. 70 years old or 71 now, or somewhere around there. And this guy never gets tired. I'm falling asleep after three-hour meetings at IHOP. He's prophesying and ministering to people who are weeping their eyes out. My head's on the table because I'm exhausted, and the guy never even yawns one time. Finally, one time I said, how do you do what you do? He goes, when you're electrically charged and tapping into what God's provision is from heaven, you have this ability. He says, now probably my physical body can only take it so long, so at some point I'll crash and burn right? Like I'll crash out. And when Kevin Leal crashes out, it's like three days, don't call him. But he'll go like five, six days a week for hours and hours and never yawn. And what it is, it's spiritual stamina. And so the, the, Jesus is instructing his disciples to go out and to preach the gospel, but really to set captives free. And in that, they will have supernatural food and authority, because watch this. It says, he sent them to preach the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. And he said to them, don't take anything for the journey, neither staff, nor bag, nor bread, nor money, and don't even take extra clothes. All right? So then he does it again in Luke chapter 10. So the disciples in Luke 9 go out and they preach the gospel and they heal the sick and they cast out demons and they're amazed. And then in Luke chapter 10... It says, after these things, verse one, the Lord appeared or appointed 70 others also and sent them. So 35 teams of two, because God always sends you out two by two. Amen. That's right. We always need somebody with us as accountability and understanding and confidence and strength and to lean on. God never called us to go alone. <clears throat> I will. I will. <clears throat> so he sent them out before his face into every city and place where he himself was about to go. Then he said to them, the harvest is truly great, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. So what God is saying is that we don't have a harvest problem, we have a worker problem. We have a sluggard problem. Now, I don't hammer hard at this church volunteering and serving. What I want you to know is when you flame on spiritually, you should, you should have this burning desire to multiply and reproduce what's inside of you. And I shouldn't have to micromanage everybody and program and institutionalize a church. It's a family. Now, I do have to tell my six-year-old to do things. I do have to tell my kids, take out the trash, go feed the animals, clean up your room, right? Sometimes we need to be told what to do. I get that. But most of us in this sanctuary today are adults. 
most of us, or young adults. The greater thing is that when the Lord comes inside of you, unlike the ant, we have now a spirit to guide us. That's right. And so you shouldn't have to be micromanaged. I shouldn't have to beat you over the head with a Bible to get you to serve. I shouldn't have to make you feel bad. What I should do is get you full of the spirit and get you directed by the the living God. Now, sometimes people don't understand that and we will become the Lord for you in the context of directing, guiding, teaching, training. That's all in the context of a family, not an institutionalized business church. That's not what this is, okay? And so Jesus tells them, the harvest is great, but the workers are few. He's not talking about workers for a job, per se. He's talking about workers for the harvest, workers for the kingdom. There's thousands and thousands and thousands of people that are hurting and broken and desperate to know truth and love and light and be comforted, and they're waiting on you, Jason. They're waiting on you, Susan. They're waiting on all of us. And so he appoints these 70 to go out into the field, into the harvest, and he says, go your way, verse three. Behold, I send you out as lambs among wolves. Whose lambs are we? So we're as a lamb to the Lord. Why? Now, this is a great context for me because I just so happen to have a little lamb. It's been living in my house with a diaper for the last six weeks. It sucks down four bottles of milk and formula a day. I feel like I have a baby back in my house. Yeah. And she kicks her diaper off at night and poops all over the floor and it gets all over the walls. And finally, we kick the little lamb out of the house, thank God. (laughs) This is really a true story. We rescued a baby sheep, which is really a little lamb. But I've learned something about this little lamb. (laughs) I learned something about this little lamb. This little lamb has still not figured out how to eat grass or uh, grain yet. So it's totally dependent on us to feed it. And it got so used to living in our house, it thinks it's a little human. Really, it wants to be held and coddled and comforted, fed. It's totally dependent on us. And it will cry till it loses its voice. And it doesn't matter what all, we finally put it out in the backfield. It doesn't matter what all the other animals are doing. Because there's other little lamb out there and a mama sheep. These are Barbados black belly sheep and they're out there, bah, mad. The worst blah you've ever heard, right? <laughs> bah, mad, all day long. But the little baby is always looking for her mama, which is a combination of my wife and my daughter. All the time. It doesn't matter if I walk in there, not interested in me, looking where is the mama. The little lamb is completely dependent. So think about this. What he didn't, Jesus' intention wasn't, I'm sending you out as a little lamb to be devoured by the wolves. God doesn't want you devoured by the wolves of the world. He wants you dependent as a lamb upon him. Come on, somebody. You gotta understand that God is your ultimate provider for your life before your job, before 
a man. In fact, Jeremiah 17, not only does it say, blessed is the man who puts his hope and trust in the Lord, he'll be like a tree planted by the water and his leaves will never be green in the year of drought. We talked about that last week. Prior to it says, cursed is the man who puts his trust in another man and then the arm of flesh. So God is our sole provider and in the one that we trust. And he says in verse four, carry neither money bag, knapsack, sandals, and don't even greet people along the road. Why? Because we're on a mission. Let's everybody say together, we're on a mission. mission. That's right. And when you have God's word behind you, when God tells you, I'm gonna give you power to heal the sick and cast out demons, and I'm gonna provide for you everywhere that you go, and don't put any trust in your stuff, you have the word of the Lord to back you. Here's the next thing that's a big challenge for so many of us. You're, you're haphazardly somewhat trusting the Lord. We have to get the word of God to back us. Now, first off, you have the written word of God that you can lean on. But when God speaks to you and says, I'm gonna provide for you and I've set this up and trust me, I called you to this place. You need that word for Corpus Christi, by the way. You gotta get the word of God that you have been called and divinely appointed to this place. And it may only be for a season, but if you don't get that word from God, you will be unsettled, always thinking about the next place that you need to be. And I had to get that word from God, which in turn produced me being in love with my community. What I feel like in many ways is a thorny briar bush community, like sleeping in a prickly wool blanket community. Now I have a passionate love for my city. It's my city, and that's my (laughs) H-E-B. Some of you knew that was coming. I know you saw that coming. That's right. And so God says, don't put your trust in anything. And when you go into a house, and don't get distracted, why does he say don't greet anybody on the way? Not because he's not wanting you to be disrespectful or kind, the point is, is don't get distracted. If it was written in modern day, it'd say, don't stop on the way to check your Facebook. (laughs) Maybe not. It just sounded good. I, I don't know. It just sounded good. So it says, Whatever house you enter, first say peace to this house. And if a son of peace is there, your peace will rest on it. Here's what that means. There are people who desperately want to know the Lord and you become a fragrance of life to. And there are people that are set in their ways and love their worldly lifestyles and have no intentions or desire to change. Those are people you become a fragrance of death to. Now, we still are a fragrance, at all times. We are a fragrance always of life. But to the other person, there are people that are ripe for the harvest and there are people that are not ripe for the harvest. I will tell you, the people ripe for the harvest are greater than those that aren't. The harvest is great. And they're just waiting on somebody to reap them and to bring life to their lives. And so he says, if they reject you, don't lose your peace. It'll come back to you. And some of us have tried to witness to friends and family and you got flamed on for the Lord and your own family persecuted you. That always happens pretty much first. That happened to me. That happened to Jesus. He's ministering in the house. Mom shows up. 
brothers are there. Jesus has lost his mind. Get him out of the house. And he says, wait a minute. Let me show you who my greater family is. And he didn't go because he was about his father's business, right? And so we have to understand that God never wants us to lose our peace. No matter what's happening in the White House with the president, with the elections, with politics, with the economy, pandemics, freezes, droughts, why would our leaf always stay green? It's a picture of fruitfulness even when the world isn't. Why? Think about this. Why would we always stay in a fruitful spot no matter what's happening in the world around us? Because I never lose my peace and I never lose my trust and I know who my provider is. Now you learn that after hurricanes and prison and broken relationships, loss of a child. And I pray none of y'all go through that. Take my advice now. Put your complete trust in the Lord fully and don't be a sluggard. Because when you sow into the kingdom, God always rewards you with wages. Always. Take it from a guy that was on the streets in prison and a deadhead, divorced and down on his luck and an ex-drug addict and drug dealer. And look at my life today. It's as if it never happened. Come on, you gotta get fired up. God can turn your life around in an instant. Yeah. Y'all ought to be fired up today. That's right, that's right. So I notice how he says peace to this house. Why? Because who's carrying the peace? You Look, you know those crazy in-laws on the holidays that you don't want to go to their house? You're the one that carries the peace to the house. Now, some of y'all shouldn't have shook your heads right there. If you get in trouble later, it was not my fault. Verse seven, I want you to catch this. Remain in the house, eating and drinking such things as who gives? They give. Because who's providing for you now? The people that God set up. Now, you gotta understand, there was no, Jesus hadn't died yet. Nobody really knew who he was, or if they did, you had this friction of the religious system. And so they're not carrying Bibles around and they hadn't even walked with Jesus that long. But he gave them a word and put authority inside of them. And he said, look, when you go there, build relationship. Don't go from house to house. Stay in that house and build a family. Impact their lives by building relationship with them. It's the lost art of true relationship. We don't do this anymore. That's why this is so important because you can now meet neighbors and friends and family, learn how to be loving and hospitable and generous, and then you can become that for the people that live around you. And then he says, eat and drink what they give. Why? The laborer is worthy of his wages. Because what's he saying? He's saying, you're laboring for me. Now I'm gonna pay you. How am I gonna pay you? Through somebody else, Teresa, Nicole, Marlene, Cole, Rachel, whoever it is, Morgan. Now what happens is, as you work for the Lord, 
God sets up people to bring provision for your life. And he's saying, don't take anything with you and depend on what you have. Now I want you to depend on me and learn to depend on my provision through other people. You know how many times I sit, I've told you this before, but I sit in countless meetings with people that God shows me don't tithe. Now, first off, I don't check tithe records, just so that you know. So never feel guilty around me if you don't give. I don't ever want you to think that. I don't know whether you do or you don't, unless the Lord shows me. And the Lord can show me, by the way. The problem is, is almost every time he shows me, he doesn't let me say anything. I've never said to somebody, well, your life is a mess because you're not tithing. (laughs) I don't think I've ever said that to somebody. Now, that can be the case, but there's a better way. Everybody say there's a better way. That's right. And so I'll be sitting in a meeting with some really, really jacked up people, none of y'all, and God will say, God will say, you know they don't tithe. And I, I, I've learned this is my response. I know, Lord, but I don't work for them. I work for him. See, this is a lordship issue. If we're gonna talk about wisdom of preparation, it all comes down to lordship. If you don't have complete trust in the Lord, you're putting your trust in yourself or someone else. I don't trust you to be my provider, but I trust God to provide for me through you. We just need to be willing vessels to say, God, use me. We need to be willing vessels to say, God, what I have is yours. I'm not gonna cling on to it because if I cling on to it, God will have to pry it out of my hands. I've learned pretty quickly, okay, God, here you go. And God says, the laborer is worthy of his wages. That's why we wanna get away here from, uh, from calling people volunteers because volunteer connotates that you're working for free. Instead, we wanna start calling everyone that serves able ministers because you're able and God is always gonna reward you for what you do. <clears throat> so God's saying, hey, you're working for me. This is really what this scripture means. I got a job for you. Go heal the sick, bust up some demons, storm the gates of hell, and don't worry about what you're gonna have because I'll provide for you and I'll use other people to do it and stay in their homes, build relationships. They'll feed you, they'll take care of you, but really a worker's worthy of his wages, I'm paying you through them. Do you get that? Everybody as a Christian has to get this. Here's the thing, I don't even have to really teach it to you. I just have to tell you it's there. So when it happens to you, you go, ah, now I know what God's doing, now it makes sense. Because here's the thing, This is inevitable if you sign up into the kingdom of God. I don't even have to convince you. I just have to prepare you. So there's a great harvest. Why is there a worker problem? And ask yourself, am I part of the problem or part of the solution? I'm doing things that in in the natural I don't wanna do all the time. I'm going places and meeting with people and doing things that in my flesh I don't wanna do. It's an inconvenience. A lot of things I do are inconveniencing to my schedule and my flesh. But my schedule and my flesh don't rule my life, the Lordship of Christ rules my life. 
So hence, I do things led by the Spirit that in my natural, I would not normally do. And it applies in every area of my life, from giving to sacrificing my time. I do not wanna be found habitually inactive. And I don't wanna be a sluggard. We all are part of the solution. You got problems with politics, do something about it. Sign up for a commission, build relationships, go to city council meetings when they reopen, write them nice letters saying, thank you for serving. If I can ever pray for you, I'm here for you. Serve in places that you... I got called the other day. I couldn't do it because it was. I got called that day to be a part. Me, little old me, with two little kids, got called to be a part of the planning committee that just happened for the Flower Bluff School District that will plan out the next 10 years of the direction of the school district. Now, I'm going to go to the next one, and they put my name in the hat. One of just a few people to be a part of a directional. Because one day my kids very likely will go to Flower Bluff School. You know who should be in there influencing? You and me. With wisdom. God will put you in places you never thought you could be. Six pastors and I two weeks ago went down to the city hall and went into the back conference room with our mayor and laid hands on her and prayed for Mayor Guajardo. Come on, man. I'm not boasting. I'm telling you that I'm in this fight even when it's inconvenient. I always have other things to do. I always have other things to do. But everything's a sacrifice. And somebody's not gonna understand why you weren't at this place when you should have been. And why did that become a priority? Because you're spirit-led and you're being directed by Jesus himself. Trust that God will always watch out for you and he'll use other people and build relationships and family. Now, check this out. In Luke 22, after the Lord's Supper and washing the disciples' feet and Jesus saying, I'll never deny you, and, and uh, I'm sorry, Peter saying to Jesus, I'll never deny you, and Jesus saying, really? Before the crow crows three times, you will deny me. And then he says this in Luke 22. So two times, he sends out the 12, he sends out 35 teams, he says, take nothing with you. Trust in me. Build relationship and watch me provide through other people. But watch this in Luke 22. Once you get the main thing, the main thing. This has been happening to you, Nicole. Just constantly being stripped away of things so that you can have an utter dependency on the Lord and Jesus becomes your first love. Because when he made a decision to come after you and rescue you out of your past lifestyle, he said, you will only trust in me now. No more men, no more provision through other men and jobs. Now he's going to provide for you so that when you have, you'll never squander it. That's another thing. I'll just use this analogy. This is not you, but I know this analogy to be true. It's like rescuing a dog from the shelter. When you have a pampered, you know, what's the word for a really expensive dog? Thank you. When you have a pampered bougie dog, a bougie Gucci dog, Gucci dog. It never wants to go outside. No, it doesn't. But when you get a rescue dog, yeah. 
it is so thankful that you're feeding it and it does whatever you tell it to do. Luke twenty two thirty five. This is right before the crucifixion of Jesus. This would be about right now, probably. When I sent you out empty-handed, did you lack anything? Not a thing, they answered. God provided all we needed. Can you trust God to never lack a thing? Put your money where your mouth is. Seriously. You're learning that. You guys are fit. God has this way of putting you in total dependency on him so that he gets all the glory. So you can't say, look what I did. I can't get any glory for this. I can't get any glory. This is the beautiful, wondrous work of Christ in my life and in your life. So he says, did you lack anything when I sent you out empty-handed? No, we didn't lack a thing. Jesus said, but now, check this out. Now that you learn to trust me and have total dependency on me and know that I'll provide for you, take what you need. If you have money, take it. And a knapsack and a sword. The New King James says, sell your cloak and buy a sword. Danger is imminent for the prophetic scriptures, uh, the, for the prophetic scripture about me, he will be accused of being a criminal, will now come to pass. All that was prophesied to me will be fulfilled. And the disciples said, Lord, we already have two swords. He says, you still don't understand. They're thinking, oh man, we got armor. And he's saying, look, take now, you're gonna need provisions for what lies ahead. Perilous times are lying ahead. Listen to me now. Do not get caught off guard. Get united. Get relationships. Get family. Have provisions. Be prepared. Save some money. Get your debts paid off. Have some extra. Keep some cash on hand. Diversify your investments. Buy a gun and some extra ammo. Come on. And if you're not a gun person, then don't. God will still protect you. Otherwise, there's another Calvary in this church that'll come to your rescue. Mark my words. <laughs> We got an armory in this church, I can assure you. You don't want to... <clears throat> All right. <clears throat> I want to say, come and take it. <clears throat> I just did. The point is you still don't understand. Peter really didn't understand. <clears throat> Peter really didn't understand because a few verses later, in the same chapter, verse 38... Peter takes it literal. They're in the garden. Here comes the the temple guard. And Peter springs out like a minute man. Cuts off the ear. Because that's what he thought that meant. That's not what it meant. It wasn't for aggression. It was for protection. I'm sure he thought he was protecting Jesus which is funny in and of itself because Jesus picks up the ear, lays it back on the guy's head and heals him and the guy falls down in wonder. If Jesus was all about, hey, shoot them, they're gonna persecute you, but get your guns out, Jesus would have just left the guy's ear on the ground. There's a difference between being persecuted for your faith and somebody coming to rob you. And then I'll, I'm going to share this with you, and then I'm going to share one quick word on our fast. Matthew 6, 31 through 34. 
Now, I love Matthew 6. I highly recommend all of us meditate on it 10 times in a row tonight. Matthew 6 is one of, one of my favorite chapters in the Gospels. <clears throat> this whole understanding of intimacy, secret place, trust in God for provision. Look at the lilies of the field and the sparrows of the air and look how I provide for them. And they don't worry, toil, spin. They're not anxious. And if you become like the pagans or the world system, chasing after provisions and worrying about your stuff, you are gonna have anxiety in the mind. Mark my words, anxiety is directly tied to fear and worry of having not or the things of this world and having your eyes on this world. It always comes down to it. Most men are stressed out because of money, work, and provision. So I've got to be careful. Don't get yourself into so much debt. Try to get out of debt. Make it your ambition to get out of debt. Have delayed gratification. We are, besides our house, we're like 98% debt-free. And I'm on a mission to get my house paid off sooner than later. It takes diligence, it takes hard work, and it takes personal responsibility. And it takes vision. So he says, don't worry, saying, what are we gonna eat? What are we gonna drink? What are we gonna wear? And you can fill in so many things. What about that new car, new watch, new phone, new whatever? After all these things, the Gentiles think, or the world is what that represents. For your heavenly father already knows that you have need of these things. It's, a, it's about need versus want. Would you rather have quality of life or quantity of life? Quality or quantity? I'll take that too. Yes, quality and quantity. Thank you, Reuben. Was that Reuben? Whoever it was, I respect that. The key is that you have your things, it doesn't have you. Verse 33. For, well, let me just hit that again. You got to know that the Father knows. Let's say that the Father knows. It's a lordship issue. It's a lordship issue. That's why you got to disconnect from the world. The world doesn't have lordship. The world teaches you everything contrary to lordship. The world is enmity towards God and the kingdom of God. Hatred. It's hatred. He uses the word hatred. You are not of this world, beloved. You are sons and daughters of the living God. Why should you get up early and go to bed late and eat your bread with toil? Psalm 128. Why should we, actually Psalm 127. Why should we live like that? It's vain. Unless the Lord builds the house, you are working in vanity, meaning it's pointless. So come on, you can do it. I got faith. I believe in you. I'll be a champion for your life. I'll cheerlead you on. I believe in you. Don't get consumed and sidetracked with the cares and the affairs of this world. And here's one of my favorite scriptures in the Bible, verse 33. Know this, memorize it, repeat it, say it a thousand times over, Matthew 6, 33. But seek first the kingdom of God. In fact, let's all say this together. Ready? But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. What things? Ba-da-ba-ba. I want to do the happy dance right now. Come on, guys. You're never stuck. You're never stuck. Come on up out of that darkness. You're never stuck. 
depression, anxiety, worry, fear, doubt always comes from having your eyes on the wrong thing and your trust on the wrong thing. You can't serve two masters. It's the Lord and the Lord alone. Even in the name of good intentions and nobility, I want $10,000 a month to give to missions. So I'm gonna work really hard to get extra money so I can give to missions. Wrong. Because now my, my master will become the working for the money in the name of doing right or good intentions. And you know the road to hell is paved with good intentions. It's Jesus, Jesus, and the Lord in all. It's complete trust in his ability to do what you can never do. And in fact, if you could do it in your own strength, that probably wasn't the Lord. The Lord always calls you to do the impossible. He always calls you to do the impossible. Okay? So I'm gonna pause there. I actually think now I'll do a part three next week because this, there's something on this. The Lord is on this message. And next week, you can study in advance. We're gonna talk about Matthew 25 because I didn't get to it today because of that clock. <laughs> Hate the, that clock. Matthew 25 talks about keeping your lamp full, all right? But I wanna real quick, because I feel like if there was ever an important time for fasting, it's right now. Now, I already know, I already know, some of you will just flat out determine I'm not fasting. I wanna do all I can to persuade you to not be like that. Here's why, okay? Because Jesus taught us about this fact that he would be putting new things into our life. Who wants something new in their life? Come on. Who, all of us are here because we want more, right? We all want more. But in order to sustain, God will give you more, ready or not. Did you know that? God's always wanting to visit your life, even when you're not ready, that's why we fast, and that's the understanding of the new wineskin. Let me show it to you. Watch this real quick. This is uh, Matthew chapter, I'm sorry, Mark 2, 18 through 22. I'll read this to you real quick. The disciples of John and of the Pharisees were fasting. They came to him and said, why are the disciples of John and the Pharisees fasting, but your disciples aren't fasting? And Jesus said to them, can the friends of the bridegroom, so he's referencing himself as a bridegroom, catch this. Jesus is many things. He goes by many titles, all defining the various characteristics of his nature. But one of the things he is, if not possibly the greatest, is a bridegroom. The bridal paradigm and understanding who we are as the bride of Christ is the most, transcend, most transformative understanding and paradigm that has shifted my life. It's helped me to love my wife. Men, if God's calling us a bride and Jesus laid his life down for a bride, it's this understanding of not only do I love my bride now the way Jesus loved us, but now I'm to love you the way Jesus loved you. It's a great mystery, it's Ephesians 5, a great mystery. Just as the Father and the Son are one, just as we become one with him when we're born again, now we are to be one. And so he says, can the friends of the bridegroom fast while the bridegroom's with them? The answer is no, it's a rhetorical question. As long as they have the bridegroom with them, they cannot fast. But the days will come. Everybody say, the days will come. How about we say it this way? The day is now. The day is now when the bridegroom will be taken away from them and then they might fast. Then they may fast. No, then they will fast. 
No one so, and he uses this parable to help you understand. No one sews a piece of unshrunk cloth on an old garment or else a new piece pulls away from the old and the tear is made worse. And no one puts new wine into an old wineskin or else the new wine bursts and the wine, uh, bursts the wineskins, the wine is spilled and the wineskins are ruined. But the new wineskin must be put in to new wineskins. When Jesus cast the demon out of the boy that had the mute spirit, the deaf and dumb spirit, he said, this kind only comes out with prayer and fasting. God showed me recently that when we get out of his word and when we lose our edge and we lose our fire, we start to become like that boy. We're not hearing anymore and hence we're not speaking. You know, the Proverbs in Proverbs 25 or 24, it says a fool at the city gates has nothing to say or it doesn't open its mouth amongst leaders. You know why I'm connecting myself with the the governmental leaders? Not just because I wanna see the future of our city and our nation in the years to come for my kids and grandkids to go in the right direction, but because I have something to say. Well, really, Jesus has something to say. And I care about their souls and their lives and somebody's gotta witness to them. You know why I got my, my brother Larry here in the tribe of Judah's here visiting. We had 12 people at our tribe of Judah meeting. It's growing. We minister to outlaw bikers. You know why? Because very few people are ministering to outlaw bikers. It's, it's in many ways, that's an inconvenience because I have so many other things. But you know what? When God calls you to something, gives you the grace for something. And fasting is important because God wants to put new things in me, but I don't want to get old. I don't want to become stale. And some of us are living on yesterday's bread and we're old wineskins and we're not having encounters with the Lord and we become dry and we become cracked. Our prayer should be, God, make me a new wineskin. Jesus used the context of fasting and the wineskin synonymous. So all I know is this. I can give you a thousand reasons why we're gonna fast. And all of you should do something, do something. I'm gonna do something. You know what the hard, really food is not that hard for me. The coffee. I thoroughly enjoy my morning coffee, thoroughly. Like thoroughly enjoy my morning coffee. But you know what? For seven days, I'm gonna make the sacrifice. And, and food. And you can do something. Here's some great simple ideas. No social media for the next week. No TV or entertainment for the next week. Lay down the sweet. Some of you got a big sweet tooth. I like my afternoon cookie and cheesecake. Some of you can lay down. How about, here's another idea. How about fasting one meal a day? I'm, I'm, I'm doing all I can to help you to do something. One meal, lunch. Or how about a time frame? Like I'm gonna fast from eight to five or eight to six or I'm gonna fast a meal, or you're gonna fast something in your life that you lean on consistently that can become a distraction, but you're gonna replace it now with time with prayer. So for me, I'm canceling my meetings for the week. I'm not gonna be busy. I'm gonna dial it down so that I can dial in with him. All right, now I know some of you work really hard jobs and jobs that require physical labor, you take medicine, so there's, there's grace there, but you could do a Daniel fast. If I told some of you men cut meat out for a week, you'd, I might as well just shoot you now. <laughs> no barbecue for a week. You can do it. I'm telling you, you can do it. Make a sacrifice. We're all doing it together, so there's grace. 
There's grace. So what I'm gonna pray for now is that you'd have total dependency on the Lord. I already know God has spoke to all of us today. You gotta check your own heart. So let's close our eyes for a moment. Lord, make this church a new wineskin so that everything you want to pour out at Rock City will be sustained, that it won't be squandered. Lord, I pray for everybody here as they make a sacrifice this week that there be grace on their lives. Speak to them and show them. Give them the strength and no legalism. I break any legalistic spirit out of you. If you mess up, get back on it. It's not... It's not a legalistic thing. I pray grace over you. This is a time of intimacy. Lord, I pray for a week of intimacy starting tomorrow of just another level of spending time with you in prayer and worship. Prepare us, Lord, for the more you wanna put in us. Prepare us for what lies ahead. And my next prayer is that everyone here would have total trust on you, not their jobs and the things of this world, complete and total dependency on you, Jesus that we're not putting our trust on our stuff so that when we have our stuff, we know where it came from. My pr- I break, I'll tell you what, I wanna break stress, worry, and anxiety out of you. Some of you are so worked up about stuff and you've been apathetic. So right now I break the spirit of apathy. I break that spirit of workaholism. I break that spirit of chasing after the things of this world. And my prayer is that you would put your total trust in the Lord and know that God will provide for you even if it's through somebody else so that when you have and God provides more with you, you'll make, you will be a good steward. Let's say this prayer together. Say, Lord, make me a good steward. And let me get a commission from you to know where to go, what to do, and how to use what you've given me. The worker is worth their wages. Lord, I trust that you will provide for me. Show me where I can be more active and show me how to trust you for what lies ahead. And now, Lord, I pray for this church and I pray that every single person that's here and coming to the next service will be filled, strengthened, fully and thoroughly equipped for every good work. That you would know the authority that's in you through Christ and that you would never shrink back in depression, fear, worry, or doubt. And I break that spirit of depression, anxiety, and fear, and worry, social anxiety. I break it out of you are a part of a family now. You are a part of a family now. You do not have to have social anxiety. No one's gonna judge you or wrong. We're gonna love you for who you are. I pray strength and a quickening and a hunger and thirst for righteousness, and they will be filled. May your food be food that's not of this world. May your food be the food to do the will of your Father in heaven. I bless you with dreams, signs and wonders and visions, and the miraculous to quicken and awaken you everywhere you go. In Jesus' name, amen. I love you guys. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed this message, please subscribe and share it with your friends. And if you want to partner with us in what God is doing here at Rock City, you can give by visiting our website at rockcitycorpus.com slash give.